is he? Hey, how's it going? You're crazy! What is he? You're crazy, huh? <laughs> Where does he come from? <clears throat> you kill us all! You kill us all! Keep away! No! Keep away from me! Look out! Watch out! Run! It's Scott Gardner! Hi, I'm Scott Gardner, and I've got a few things to say about Superman. Now, you're probably asking yourself, why in the world am I doing yet another show? You know, especially when I've got a bunch of others to keep up with all the time, and, uh, you know, also with at least one that's seemingly just languishing in podcast limbo. Well, there's kind of a multi-part answer to this question. Let me see if I can tackle these one at a time. First of all, the seeming you know to languish in podcast limbo. Uh, let me just throw it out there. And man, I hope I'm not setting myself up for this. But uh, Jonah Hex, the Jonah Hex podcast is not dead. Um, I'm actually working on that. Uh, I've been kind of in secret up till now. Now that I've kind of let the cat out of the bag, I've I've been working on uh, you know getting some new uh, episodes recorded and uh, getting that show back on some sort of regular track. So, as they say in TV land, stay tuned. Secondly, you know, Back to the Bins is a show that that means a lot to me. Um, I've come to really enjoy the show, and I don't want the show to be dead. So. I've been wanting to do something Superman-related for quite a while, which uh, I'll get back to that in a minute. But rather than actually create a whole separate show, I thought, well, what's a way that I can keep Back to the Bins rolling along and not necessarily create a whole new show? So I came up with the idea of, of Back to the Bins Presents. So we'll kind of see where that goes. So this is basically, this is a whole new podcast, which is going to be about Superman, but it's going to fall under the header of Back to the Bins, and it's going to use a very Back to the Bins format, as you'll see. So I'm kind of attempting to kill two birds with one stone with this while, you know, doing Superman, but keeping Back to the Bins alive in in some form or fashion as well. All right, so why a Superman show? Well, there's a couple of reasons for that. Probably the biggest one is something that has stuck in my craw now for, this has been at least probably a couple of months. There was some thread or other on Facebook a while back. I can't remember exactly what the whole deal was about now, but I had responded something to the effect of something about my favorite character. And a friend quickly wrote back and said, well, who would that be? Who's your favorite character? And I thought, wow, is it, this is a no-brainer. Is I mean, anybody that knows me should know the answer to this. And I got to thinking about it, and I'm like, not necessarily. You know, my, my family, my friends um, would know. But, I mean, someone who just knows me through podcasting or through the Internet or whatever may not necessarily know. And that that bothered me. It bothered me that people that know me from these other things might not know that about me, that I'm a huge, huge Superman fan. And up till now, I'd always kind of been identified that way. And like I say, it just kind of stuck in my craw that, wow, you know, I'm not readily identifiable with Superman to people that listen to my shows and things. So yeah, kind of bugged me. 
And then also the fact that there's now an actual podcast network devoted solely to Superman. And I'm not part of this. It was like, wow, how, how is that even possible? So that was kind of the origin of all this. It, it's what got me thinking about, man, I really need to be talking about Superman. Um, and that's a lot of it. I need to talk about Superman at this point. And that in itself is kind of a multi-part thing. Um, anybody, again, that knows me, knows I'm not happy with what's going on with Superman present day. However, I've done my fill of the angry fanboy thing. So this is also sort of my attempt to change all that. I want to talk about Superman. I need to talk about Superman, but I want to do this in a very positive light. I want to try to bring across through this show how very important I believe Superman to be and what he means to me personally. Now, those are two huge things. I believe Superman's important. He's definitely important to me. He was an important part of, of my childhood and I think forming me into both the person that I am and the person that I always wanted to be. I think that's important. I think Superman fills a very important role in that aspect of he's inspirational or at least when I was growing up he was and he means a lot to me but I think he means a lot to the world too or at least he should he used to and I'm afraid that maybe he doesn't anymore but again this is my attempt to be positive and show how I feel and what I think of this character rather than just another episode or another podcast with me ranting and railing about, you know, the injustices I think they're being done to the character present day. That's not at all what I want to do with this show. I really want to try to stay away from that sort of thing as much as possible and just focus on the things that I love about the character. I, I've done the whole ranting and railing thing. I've done it ad nauseum, and you can hear about that on any number of shows and any number of episodes. This show is intended to be something very, very different from all that. I want this to be my take on Superman in my own words. So that's kind of where we're at with this, and I hope you enjoy it. it, it this is tied to Back to the Bins also because this is going to be completely random. I'm honestly, I'm just going to grab stories that strike me um, in a, you know, in a particular time frame or just that pop into my head or as I pick up issues. I, as a matter of fact, I have an issue that I just purchased off of eBay a couple of days ago. Should be arriving anytime. Can't wait to talk about it on the show. So that sort of thing. But to start this off, I really thought, what would be the story I would really want to kick off a Superman podcast with? And a whole bunch of ideas flooded my head. But I finally, I settled on this one because I think... This one's very fitting, and I think you'll see why. So we're going to travel back to 1973. I have no month for this because there's not a month in the Indicia. It's just simply 1973, and we are looking at a story from... This is a great big, huge, oversized book. Original price was 2 bucks. It is awesome. This is The Amazing World of Superman. Official Metropolis Edition. 
shows Superman holding up a globe, and over his head, the globe says, uh, it has letters on it, it says, Amazing World Of, and then Superman is actually standing on his own logo. He's standing on the Superman logo. And there's a banner at the bottom that says, Special Bonus, Giant Poster, Map of Krypton. It's awesome. I'm not sure who did this cover. Kind of looks like Kurt Swan to me. Kind of looks like there might be some uh, Murphy Anderson in there as well. I forgot to look this up, so I don't know. But we'll go with that. The story I want to talk about in this is a great one. And again, I highly recommend tracking this down if you can, because it is in the giant size format. It's just a tiny bit smaller than, say, like uh, limited collector's edition size. But about, you, know, you get the idea. It's about that size. It's like a treasury uh, edition size. This is printed in black and white, which... It's funny, you know, when I was a kid, I really wasn't a fan of the black and white stuff. Now I look at things like this, and I think it really enhances the art. And I love this in black and white. But again, I love it in color, too. It has been reprinted a number of places, but I'm getting the cart ahead of the horse. We are looking at the origin of Superman. This was a story written by uh, E. Nelson Bridwell. And depending on what sources you look to try to find what, what the art team was on this, you'll find some conflicting information. There are no credits given in this printing of the story. This is the original printing, by the way, which is one of the reasons I ran with this book. This, I'm pretty sure this is not where I discovered this story. I think I discovered it in one of the subsequent reprints. And two places off the top of my head that I know it's reprinted is in limited collector's edition number C31, which is an all-Superman uh, limited collector's edition. And it was printed, and this is more than likely where I discovered the story, it was reprinted in a, uh, this was years before the idea of, or, you know, the terminology trade paperback ever came along, but it's essentially a trade paperback from 1974, I want to say. Secret Origins of the DC Superheroes, and it's got everybody, and it's got Superman, Batman, The Flash, Captain Marvel, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, I mean, anybody who was anybody in dc comics at the time was in this it's awesome i highly recommend tracking it down and to the best of my knowledge you can still find that on the cheap i finally got a copy off of ebay a couple years ago and i didn't pay a lot for it it's a great book with an awesome neil adams cover highly suggest tracking that down this story is in there printed in color and again i'm pretty sure that's the first time i ever saw that story and i think credits are actually given in that there are no credits in this one but I can tell you with authority that uh, Kurt Swan was part of the art team on this. De most definitely inked by Murphy Anderson. Because Murphy Anderson is the artist that definitely stands out to me the most in this. I love Murphy Anderson's art. Beautiful, beautiful art in this. And I'm not sure in what capacity... But I do know that Carmine Infantino had a hand in this as well. I think possibly he may have done some sort of like panel layout type of deal because one of the very first panel uh, panels in this story is most definitely uh, Infantino inspired we'll say but again I'm getting a little ahead of myself it opens with a beautiful full page splash and this being you know a giant oversized book full page splash is just I mean it's huge it's like poster size it's beautiful and it's Superman standing there you know arms akimbo and you've got a little uh Planet Krypton exploding inside the, the exploding Krypton. Jor-El and Lara looking off as uh, baby Kal-El rockets away in his uh, really cool 70s rocket ship, which I always had a real fondness for. It's really cool. You can actually see the little baby Kal-El in the ship through the window. That's pretty neat. 
and it has a uh, sort of a caption box here. It says, who is Superman? Where did he come from? How did he obtain the miraculous powers that caused the world to gasp in awe? <laughs> here at last are the answers, the incredible origin, or excuse me, the incredible story of the origin of Superman. And that panel I was talking about is the very first panel of the story. It shows an arm, uh, a hand rather, holding a gun, firing off a shot, and you see Superman zipping across the panel, and actually the shot is ricocheting, the bullet is ricocheting off his open hand. Now this is very much looking like the Flash, and that's what makes me think that this panel is uh, pretty obviously uh, laid out, or at least had something to do with Carmine Infantino, because this just reeks of Carmine Infantino's Flash, but in a good way. I, I like that stuff, so it's really cool. So that panel is faster than a speeding bullet. The next panel shows Superman plopping down out of the sky, and stopping a runaway freight or some sort of train looks like a actually looks a lot like that train from superman the movie where superman makes himself a human rail and it says more powerful than a locomotive and i always love this panel i like the idea that superman can actually just you know fall out of the sky and stop a train but something i never thought about when i was a kid momentum <laughs> what happens to this train when this dude just drops out of the sky and just, okay, I'm going to stop you now. It's like, okay, it, it's not that simple. There, <laughs> there's all these things, these factors to consider going on behind this. So he just, you know, does he derail this entire train? Does it kill people? You know, what, what's in this train? Not supposed to stop and think about those sorts of things, I guess. The next panel is Superman and he's, uh, <laughs> looks kind of silly, actually. Instead of flying across the metropolis skyline, he's leaping like a hurdler. And it says, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. But it, again, it is really cool. Bottom panel, Superman again standing. But instead of uh, arms akimbo this time, he actually has his hands folded across his chest. It's kind of cool looking. His cape's kind of flapping in the breeze. And on one side, the side he's standing on is Krypton... Uh, like a Krypton background with very futuristic, like Tomorrowland-looking buildings and stuff, and rocket ships flying around. The other side of the panel is uh, it's Earth, more than likely supposed to be Metropolis, with like a airplane in the sky, and it just says Superman. It says everyone knows of these and other powers of the Man of Steel, but how did he acquire super his super abilities? For the answer, we must look not on Earth, but far out in the vast reaches of space. And we go to planet Krypton. It says, years ago, the giant planet Krypton revolved around a great red sun. We get a nice shot here of, uh, of Krypton. And I, I love this version of Krypton. It's not quite the, the Silver Agey version that I like the absolute best, which is really the, um, the Wayne Boring era. I love that stuff. But it still owes a lot to that. It's very cool. This is more... This is more leaning towards, say, Logan's Run, more than like that really 50s sort of thing that I, that I really like the best. But this is really cool. I like this quite a bit. And we actually get a shot of uh, scientist Jor-El and his wife, Lara. And Lara is expressing uh, concern because their son, Kal-El, is now a year old and hasn't learned to read yet. We get another panel of some Kryptonian scientists talking about the many discoveries that they've made. And one of them says, Yes, I calculate that a Kryptonian on the tiny planet Earth would have tremendous strength because of its lighter gravity. And another says, The greater uh, energy of its yellow sun would give him other fantastic powers. So this is sort of a, an explanation ahead of time of Superman's incredible abilities. Now, got to sidetrack for just a moment. I like all that. 
I'm still really a, a big fan of the Kryptonians as a race of Superman. I always like that origin the best. Um, they haven't really used that one in a long time, but that that's the one I always kind of favored the most, that Superman came to Earth and he was a Superman because his people were Superman. They were highly evolved. They were an advanced race of people. Rather than this version where, sure, they're advanced and everything, but they're basically, they're just human beings with, you know, a few more, you know, thousand years, you know, technological advances and that sort of thing, but they're not really Superman. Eh, You know, it's, it's half of one or, you know, six of one, half a dozen of the other, but I just, I like that other version just, just a tiny bit better. Anyway, we see that there's a, a tremendous, what they call a ground quake here, because it couldn't be an earthquake, which is not earth. But there's a ground quake, and uh, it's tearing up the city, and it's concerning the people. And they're, you know, these are increasing and starting to worry the, uh, the populace of the planet Krypton. So a meeting is held in the Hall of Wisdom of this, the ruling science council. And Jor-El has, uh, has called this meeting and you've got all these people sitting around a table that reminds me an awful lot of a table you might see in like Justice League headquarters or something. It's pretty cool. Jor-El walks in and the scientists are talking amongst themselves and they say, you know, what, is he, what do you suppose he has on his mind? Well, soon no, here he comes and he runs right up and there's no preamble whatsoever. Jor-El slaps his hand down on the table and he's got his other hand balled into a fist and he says, fellow scientists, Krypton is doomed. And I love the look of Jor-El here because he's basically Superman. I mean, he's drawn to look pretty much identical to Superman, you know, even with the spit curl and everything in his hair. And I just, I like his outfit. I've always really liked this one with the, with the big sun emblem on it and things like that. This to me is the way I always remember Jor-El. And it was kind of surprising to me a while back. I actually went back and read a story I'd never read before, which was the very first Superboy story from way back in, it was more fun comics, I can't remember what issue it was, like 71 or something like that, and found that, wow, Jor-El looks completely different in that story, and it was really kind of shocking to me. Anyway, that's neither here nor there, and we might cover that story at some point in the future. Anyway, you guys kind of know the rest of this. The Science Council comes to laugh at Jor-El and his theories that Krypton will soon pop like a big old bubble. You know, it's, uh, he says, very soon Krypton will explode like a gigantic bomb. And he proposes the idea of space arcs to carry all, all their people to another world. And in this story, the world he proposes is actually Earth. Which, again, little sidetrack here. I've always wondered, what would be the ramifications of that? Of an entire race of these people coming to Earth and suddenly having superpowers. Because as we can see, not all these Kryptonians are, are nice altruistic people like Jor-El. Some of them, eh, they're kind of dicks. So now I know that that story has kind of sort of been explored, uh, especially in recent times in comics. Um, I wasn't really a big fan of that sort of thing. But from this era, I wonder you know, how, how that would have played out. Anyway... They laugh at Jor-El. They all think he's crazy. Everybody makes fun of him. Poor Jor-El walks away, you know, whole, you know, hanging his head, eventually runs back to his apartment. Now, just as a little sidetrack, again, it's funny, you know, perception is a funny thing. I had always thought that this is pretty much the way this story played out. They all laughed at him. Nobody believed him. He ran off and does his own thing. And, you know, the planet's left to its own devices. You know, the, the, you know, what happens, happens. 
as it, it will turn out, and we'll explore this in at least a couple other stories I can think of off the top of my head, it turns out Jorel wasn't alone. We'll, we'll see that later on. Just but just keep that in the back of your mind that uh, there were other people that actually, you know, as it turns out, you know, believed in Jorel. Anyway, he runs back to his apartment, and Lara's instantly concerned, you know, because he runs in, falls back against the door. He's holding his head, and she says, I can see it. They still won't believe you. And he says, I thought the quakes would convince them, but they don't want to believe the truth. The fools, the blind, their blindness will doom billions. <laughs> and right away, it begins. The end of the world. And we see all these earthquakes and buildings crumbling. And it's really some dynamic stuff of you know the end of the world. And it looks very, very dynamic as these just vast disasters are happening everywhere. You see bodies tumbling and buildings falling and things just... The infrastructure of the planet being destroyed. And Jor-El, you know, he scoops up his wife and his infant son... And they go to this model rocket that he has built. And he tries to convince Lara to get into the ship, you know, her and the baby, to save the two of them. And this is one of the things I always really liked so much about the Superman origin story. This version of it is the fact that he, this was not them sending their son away, you know, like Moses style. This was, you know, Jor-El had this plan in mind that he was going to save his, his wife and his child. She's the one that backs out. You know, this is... Uh, it always reminded me a little bit of, like, the Titanic. You know, there were stories there where wives would step back, you know, to be with their husbands. They, you know, they refused to get into the lifeboat. They felt that their place was to be, you know, with their husband and face the end together rather than leaving, you know, the, the man behind to, you know, a, a cold fate by himself. There were stories like that. And... I'm not sure how I would feel were I in that position. I, I would, you know, it would it would be a horrible fate to face, but at the same rate, I think it would be a little bit easier knowing that your your loved ones survived beyond you. But there's something also touching to this story that, that no, she wants to face the end together with him. I like that. It, it's, it moves me. And, and I think it's very touching. And it's done very well in this story where she's, she just tells him uh, flat out, I can't leave you, Jor. My place is at your side. I'm staying. And he, you can see in the story, he's touched by this as well. So they put the baby in the rocket. And uh, a beautiful uh, last panel here where, uh, you know, Jor-El engages the button. The, the rocket shoots away from the planet and they face the end together. And I always really liked the panel of them holding each other and crying again it's very moving um just really beautifully done and the panel after that is it shows basically the the city the rest of the surface of the planet just collapsing moments before boom the entire planet is destroyed and there's some nice panels and an explanation given of how the rocket gets to earth that there was a special warp drive that Jorel himself had invented to hurdle the ship through interstellar space to earth because at this time they still hadn't really given a relationship between Krypton and earth. It was in that kind of fuzzy period because originally, if I'm not mistaken in the earliest stories, 
you know, this being the uh, <laughs> the darkened days of the 30s, I think Krypton was intended to just be like another planet in our solar system, almost like a Mars. Whereas, you know, as time wore on and the origin story got refined and things like that, it became another solar system. You know, in Superman the movie, it was another galaxy. That's never really touched upon in this, but I would think it has to at least, at the very least, has to be another solar system. I always thought another galaxy was a bit of a stretch because it's like a galaxy's a pretty freaking big place. You can't find one other planet within your own galaxy in which to send this kid to. <laughs> anyway, the, crypt- the uh, rocket from Krypton eventually arrives in Earth space, circles around the world until eventually plunging down into a uh, Kansas field. Now, a quick little aside, if you've never read... Uh, Elliot S. Megan's awesome book, Last Son of Krypton. I highly recommend it to you if you're a Superman fan for an explanation of why the rocket landed in this uh, in this Kansas. Actually, you know, I'm not sure in this story is it actually identified as Kansas. I don't think it actually is. That's actually something I have injected myself, and I take it back. It just says, then at last it plunged to the surface, and it just shows it crashing down in the side of the road, as this couple is driving their old, uh, their old sort of pickup truck thing. And she says, Jonathan, Jonathan, look, what's that thing that just crashed? And he says, don't know. Let's take a look. So they get out. And again, another scene I always liked a lot of the baby crying. That's what, what draws them to the ship is the sound of the baby. I always liked this version also of the origin that it was a baby because later on, again, we'll see it sort of played with and tinkered with and refined to where this baby wasn't so much an infant because I can remember a whole lot of stories later on, both Superman and Superboy stories where you would get flashback tales or things like that, or Superman, Superman eventually would have invent this machine where he could actually enhance his own memories of his earliest childhood and actually view his life on Krypton by, by basically boosting his memory and we could see in a lot of those stories where he could talk, you know, and it was that silly kind of silver agey baby speak where he would say, you know, me want ball and things like that. But he then to me became a lot older. He became more of a toddler and he was actually able to walk around and do things. I like this version much better where he was really just an infant child um, that didn't speak yet or anything like he's really a, he's a baby. I like that. I like that version a lot. Not my favorite version, however, that I'll more than likely be talking about at some point in the future. Anyway, they find the baby, and I always really like this this one panel. It goes straight from this nice big panel where we see Jonathan Kent reaching into the rocket and pulling the baby out, and he says, here he is, unhurt, and the rocket isn't damaged either. It goes straight from that panel to this panel that shows the Kents driving their pickup truck into the town of Smallville and the rockets on the back of it says loading the rocket on their pickup truck. It's like, Oh, how did they do that? There's not really any explanation given. It's not like he had tools in the truck where he could really do that. There, there, that's never explained in this. And I would love to know how, how did that, how was that accomplished? Same sort of thing happens in Superman, the movie. If you ever watch um, some of the uncut versions, I know the KCOP version is like this where it shows the same thing it shows the truck drive away and uh 
And wait, am I remembering this? Maybe I'm not remembering this. You know what? I'll have to research that. I'll get back to you. I was going to say that in that movie, it shows the truck drive away and the uh, the starship, you know, the crystal ship is in the back of the truck. Now I get to doubting myself. It may still actually be sitting in the field, but I'll have to look at that because it seems to me that there is a version that shows that starship in the back of the truck. But like I say, I'll check on that and I'll get back to you. Anyway... This is one of the the things in the story that always bugged me just a little bit, that they don't just take the child home. That's one of the refinements in John Byrne's version of the origin story that I always thought worked the best, was that they find the baby, they're a childless couple, they always wanted a baby, so they just plain take the baby home. Superman the movie's the same way, or at least it's, you know... It jumps straight from them finding the baby to his teenage years in, you know, at Smallville High. So we never really get that in between. But I think it's largely implied that they just took the baby home. I like that version best. I think that makes the most sense. However, it was just, I think this was a sign of the times that, you know, they were law-abiding people. They wanted to do the right thing. So you find a baby. What do you do? You turn it over to the authorities. Kind of like, you know, finding a bundle full of cash. What do you do? You turn it into the police. Me? What would I do? <laughs> anyway, in this story, they turn him into the county orphanage. And while this isn't my favorite version, I do like some of the antics that go on here. You know, we see a part where uh, infant Kal-El actually uh, is throwing a doctor into the air, almost like throwing him up like a toy. Another doctor's walking into the room. He says, great Scott, how on earth? And the doctor says, I started to lift him, but he lifted me instead. I always like that scene. And another one where uh, Infant Kal-El is, is playing with his toys and snapping a toy train in two. And one nurse says, oh dear, he's broken another toy. And the other one, another nurse says, I never saw such strength. He'll grow up to be a regular Hercules. And uh, one that I always did like quite a lot was the one with the doctor perplexed by the fact that he can't vaccinate the child. He says, I don't understand it. I've broken four needles trying to vaccinate that child. And a nurse comes in and says, Doctor, quick, it's that baby again. And they go into the other room, and there's baby Kal-El hanging from the light fixture. And the doctor says, oh, how did he get up there? And she says, I don't know, but we must get him down. So eventually, the Kents come back to the orphanage to try to adopt him. And there's just a great panel of the Kents sitting on one side of the table and like the, uh, I don't know, whatever they call the guy that would run the orphanage. I don't know, what the, what do they call that? All I can think of is Warden, and I know that's not right, but you get the idea. He says, you may have the child, and then to himself he's thinking, and good riddance. <laughs> so they take the child home, and they decide to name him Clark Kent. Uh, the name Clark taken from Martha's maiden name, the Clarks. And right away they find out, that boy ain't right. Because first, he almost gets run over by a tractor, and instead of the boy getting injured, the tractor is completely demolished. I always liked that scene a whole lot. I always thought that was really, really cool. Another scene, again, very reminiscent of The Flash, and I, I think there's probably some Infantino uh, inspiration in here, is where it shows Clark outrunning an express train. And uh, just by the way it's drawn and the speed lines coming off him, it's very reminiscent of The Flash, and uh, I like that a lot. And then young Clark running home one day, uh, back to the Kent uh, place. He goes to jump over the the fence into his own yard, jumps clear over the house, comes down on the other side, smashing into the ground up to like his kneecaps. I always thought that was really, really cool. 
Turn the page and even more super abilities. You know, we see that uh, he has x-ray vision when his mother loses a, a ring and he can actually see it behind a solid object. Things like that. I love the, the, the little revelations. Again, all of this sort of thing, I like this, the way that this is, is told in this origin. We would see a lot of this stuff end up being revised and refined later on because eventually he would have a, a super boy career. And so events like him discovering his x-ray vision, his ability to fly, things like that would get set further and further and further and further back to a point where he had adventures as super baby and had the full range of abilities from you know x-ray vision to flight to super breath to everything else. Not sure how I feel about that. A lot of those stories, while entertaining or amusing, are pretty silly too. I always kind of like the version, I think uh, Elliot Megan uh, struck a nice balance where he had Superboy basically go into action when he was about eight years old. I kind of like that idea. Although, I would wonder, you know, in the, in the uh, era where we were so concerned as a nation about, you know, the Red Scare and things like that, what would the people of the 1950s think about a, you know, super-powered eight-year-old flying around with all these incredible abilities and they they're having no way to stop this kid if you know he went on a temper tantrum that could literally endanger the planet or something like that never to my knowledge ever really explored in any stories or anything but i think there's great story potential there sadly we get to a part where uh it says soon clark adopted his superboy identity and achieved worldwide fame but then his mother died and as his father lay ill of the same disease, and we see young Clark Kent, and I really like the way he's, uh, he's drawn in these panels. And he comes to see his father, and his father says, Not much time. Nurse, please leave us alone. We see Jonathan Kent, and he's not wearing his glasses or anything. And I swear, in these panels, he really, to me, looks a lot like Ben Parker. And he says, no one on earth has powers equal to yours, Clark. You've used them well as Superboy. But there may even be greater need for your powers when you're a man. You must use them wisely for good. And the boy, a really nice shot of Jonathan's hands reaching up as he's speaking to Clark. And Clark just standing there and tears streaming down his face. It's a really dynamic uh, panel. And I really, really like it where he just says, I will, Pa. I swear it. And Jonathan Kent says... Good son, never forget your vow. And with that, Jonathan Kent's dead. And we see a, a panel of, of young Clark, and he's sobbing you know, on his father's chest. And he says, he, he's gone. I'm the mightiest being on earth, yet all my superpowers couldn't save him. I like that. I like that a lot. And I like that that was touched upon in Superman the movie. I don't like it being over uh dramatized or becoming some sort of angsty reason for superman to do what he does or worse yet to be some reason why he feels like a freak or like uh an outcast or he comes to hate his superpowers or something like that i just like this idea that superman has limits and i think this is a nice demonstration in this story. I, reading between the lines, I kind of see this as a demonstration of Superman realizing maybe for the very first time 
that he does have limits, that there are things Superman can't do, or things he can't control, people he won't be able to save. I like that. I think that's a humanizing quality, and it's a common complaint I've heard leveled against Superman. Oh, Superman's too powerful. Oh, he's a boring character because he's so powerful. No, he's not. And I think this little scene right here perfectly demonstrates the humanity in the character and the limits that are set upon him. He couldn't stop the prevent the the deaths of the two people that meant the most to him in all the world. I like that a lot. And while I prefer the versions where the Kents survive into his adulthood, because I think that lends into some really excellent uh, story potential and some really nice stories have come of that. There's something to be said about this era too, where the Kents weren't a part of his life. There's the next panel here. It says orphaned for the second time. And I think that's very important to remember that Superman was orphaned. And in this telling of the story, like it says here, orphaned for a second time, I think that's very important. It says, Clark had his foster parents buried in the backyard of their home. I always thought that was a little bit creepy. It says, I'll never forget Ma and Pa, and I won't sell the house. And now I must leave, go to college in Metropolis, then get a job. I always remembered this from when I was a kid, that he didn't sell the house. And I always thought, again, that there was story potential there. But to the best of my knowledge, I don't think that was ever really followed up on. I don't remember stories of him going back to the house for, for anything the only time I can ever remember this coming up was, strangely enough, it was in an issue of Brave and the Bold. It was an issue where Superboy wound up in present day and teamed up with Batman. And Batman had to do his level best to keep Superboy from learning things that he shouldn't know about, you know, his own future. And at one point, Superboy decides that he's going to check in on Mon Pa, you know, present day Mon Pa. And when he uses his supervision, he, of course, sees this scene he sees the kent home and he sees the gravestones in the backyard so it's a nice callback i don't know if it's intentional right back to this particular story but that's how i always perceived it and i always really really liked that and again that's the only time i can ever really remember this being referenced back to anyway next uh scene (laughs) i always got a real kick out of shows superboy flying away from the kent home and uh, you know high above the uh the town of smallville and he's holding two suitcases. <laughs> I don't know why that cracks me up. It just does. It just looks kind of funny that here's Superboy flying around with suitcases. It says, Clark left Smallville soon after, but returned secretly to make a second departure as Superboy. And he's thinking to himself, he said, well, I've said goodbye to all my friends. I'll return later for my trophies and robots when I have a place to keep them. And he says, huh? What's that crowd below doing? And he looks down. And he said, and it says here, it was a nice, or it was a rather super surprise prepared by the Boy of Steel's friends. And all of the townspeople have turned out to use their, their selves, you know, the, the crowd to form letters in a field. And it says, farewell, Superboy, we'll never forget you. And he's really touched by this. And he thinks to himself, I must find a special way to say farewell to them. And... I think the special way is both really sweet. I think it's a sign of the times. And it's also pretty silly. And he comes flying back. And it's Superboy. And he's wearing a chef's hat on his head. And he's carrying a giant cake. And he says, I built a giant oven to bake this super cake. Big enough for everyone to have a slice. 
and he's landing in the town of Smallville. And it's funny that for a change, the the street is shown, you know, it's drawn here very wide. It's a huge, like, open area avenue type of thing. Of course, big enough for him to be able to land and put the uh, the super cake down in the street. You know, for small for it being named Smallville, and I realized that at some point they revealed that it was named Smallville after a person whose name was Small, rather than Smallville as in it's a tiny little place to live. It still strikes me that it's misnomered any way you slice it, because this place, you know, has everything from... Well, there was a story I read not long ago where it turned out that uh, within easy walking distance and sight distance from the Kent farm was an amusement park. Yeah. Anyway, I always like the next panel. It just shows a piece of Superboy's cake under glass, and it says, Most of the people didn't eat that cake. They saved it as a souvenir. There are hundreds of pieces still in Smallville. I think that's kind of nice. And it's just, there's a little... uh, little card plaque type of thing in, in front of this one it just says superboy's cake <laughs> you would think they'd like put it in a ziploc bag and put it in the freezer or something anyway it says after graduating from metropolis university clark got a job as a reporter at the daily planet and it shows uh, clark hard at work at the typewriter and quick shots of all of his friends lois lane jimmy olsen uh, perry white he says, all fine people and good friends. Also, this job gives me access to news of crimes immediately so I can act swiftly as Superman. I like that. And we get a nice shot of Superman being presented some sort of a, of, a, of an award. And it says, at last, to reward him for his super deeds, a grateful world honored Superman in a unique way. And these uh, two men are presenting him. With this thing, it says, The member nations of the UN have voted you honorary citizenship in all their countries. And Superman, I like this. Just the way he's drawn here. Now, there's something about it. I, 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 maybe it's reading between the lines. But I, I see it as him being kind of struck by this. Almost at a loss. And he just says, Thank you, sir. And uh, and all the members, I'll try to deserve this honor. And I like that. I like Superman humble. I like Superman uh, touched by this this act, this you know, this honor that's being bestowed upon him. That's Superman to me. I like that a lot. And the last panel, great great panel. Superman flying along. He's got his fist out in front of him. He's got his other arm kind of cocked back, also in a fist. He's got one leg kind of cocked up, and he's zipping through the skyline, and it says, And every day, as the odd citizens of Metropolis gaze up to see a red, uh, red, almost said red, white, and blue, red and blue form streaking through the sky, you get the classic, Look, up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's Superman. And I like this story. I like it a whole lot. It's just... uh, you know, it's simple. It, it tells the story. It lays it out. It gives reasons for why he does what he does. How he's able... You know, the, the story in the very beginning, it says, you know, where did he get this incredible powers? But I think as well as explaining how he's able to fly, where he gets these incredible powers, I think that the story does a beautiful job of il- illustrating why is he a good person? Why does he do what he does? Sure, you've, you've explained to me you know, how he can fly, how he's able to lift cars and things like that. But 
he could have just as easily have grown up to use those powers to take over the world. Why didn't he? And in little snippets that don't beat you over the head, there's no political, you know, political axe grinding here. There's no angsty, you know, Superman does this because, you know, these people died or, you know, none of that crap. It's just simple. He does it because he was raised by good people that taught him good values. And I think we get that from the scene of Jonathan Kent's death, where he gives him all the motivation I ever needed as a child for why Superman is Superman. Use your powers to do the right thing. Simple as that. I don't need more. Even today, at 43 years old, I don't need more than that. It's perfect. His pa raised him right and on his deathbed said, Son, always remember, do the right thing. I like that. It's short, it's sweet, it's simple, and it's beautiful. I like this origin story for Superman. I think it's really, really great. And eventually at some point, I'm not going to do it anytime soon, but eventually at some point I would like to explore my personal favorite version of the origin story of Superman. But I do enjoy this one a whole lot. For, for many, many years, this was the version I was most familiar with uh, as far as the comic book version, and uh, and it has a real soft spot for me personally. I think the art's beautiful. I think it's fantastic. Again, I uh, I highly encourage folks to seek it out. It has been reprinted a couple of different places, but if you're able to hunt down this version, because not only is uh, is it beautiful to look at in black and white, and it's in a, a huge size and everything. But the other articles, the other things that are in this particular book, it's a lot of fun. It's it's just a it's a nice big look at Superman, how he existed up to this point. Kind of a how did we get here with Superman type of thing. And uh, it's a heck of a lot of fun. I really enjoy it. Nice uh, piece in here about um, Superman's mission for President Kennedy and a little explanation about the story. I, I, I like that a lot, you know, that... DC was uh, enlisted, basically, by Kennedy to do this little story promoting national fitness. And at the time that DC was working on the story, uh, Kennedy was assassinated. But then President Johnson and the Kennedy family basically said, no, we, we want you to go ahead. We want you to finish this story. I like that. I think that's really nice. And they reprint a, a nice chunk of it that actually references John Glenn, which I get a real kick out of. I think that's really cool. And... A really nice one here. A uh, the Superboy legend, <laughs> as told of course by Superboy. But the art's beautiful. It's uh, Bob Brown, who I've come to really, really like as a Superboy artist. I really get a kick out of his stuff because he he has a very unique take on the look of Superboy. It's not quite traditional, so to speak, and I, I like that a lot. But it's an, a, another. It goes much more into the origin of of the Superboy legend because it is very removed from the origin that we got in the very beginning of this story, or in the beginning of this uh, of this comic. You know, the one that I just covered. Then you get this story, and it, it lays out so much more that, to a certain degree, almost contradicts the earlier story. In this, we see. Superboy doing, or Super Baby rather, doing super feats that, according to this other origin story, these were abilities that hadn't been discovered yet. So right away, <laughs> you see the 
the refinement and the retconning and things like that. It's I get a kick out of that sort of thing. But I've probably gone on long enough for this. I hope you got a kick out of it. Please send feedback. I'm very anxious to know what you guys thought of this whole thing. Um, it isn't my intention really for this to be... Um, how do I want to put this? Uh, I'll put it this way. As slick and polished, I'll put it, as, say, a traditional Two True Freaks show. I want this very much to be something that I can sit down, I can record a stream of consciousness that I don't have to do a whole lot of tinkering or editing with, and I can pretty much just put it out there. That's kind of how Back to the Bins, for the most part, has always been, and I kind of want to keep it that way. So let me know what you think about that. Because while I enjoy the slick and polished things, for one, they can be a headache as far as they take a lot of time um, to produce them. And, and this is, to be perfectly honest, this is a show that's supposed to be much more off the cuff because it saves time as, as podcasting. But at the same rate, because this is a show that I'm doing because it, it's the subject matter is very personal to me, I want it to be more about, how do I say this without sounding completely arrogant? I want it to be more about me, if you follow what I mean, rather than about the bells and whistles of, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, music or silly sound effects or anything like that. I want it really to be more my talking about Superman. So, that was kind of the origin of the show. That was the idea I had right off the bat. And that's the reason for the rather lengthy name of the show. So, again, please send feedback. I really would like to know what you think of the show. Um, feedback can be sent, as always, to backtothebins at gmail.com. I really appreciate you listening. Hope you'll come back for future episodes. And until then, take care, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by visiting the Two True Freaks section of www.forumforgeeks.com. Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.libsen.com and is a registered trademark of Demanzocor of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Back to the Bins is a proud member of both the League of Comic Book Podcasts, which you may find at comicbooknoise.com league, and also the Comics Podcast Network, which you may find at comicspodcast.com. Take a moment to stop by their respective sites and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week.